Today's the first day of September 2023. Welcome to the Chapter 49 podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. I'm a volunteer with Chapter 49 in the area of communications, and I'm also a retiree. Uh, we at NTU Chapter 49 represent most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. We try to keep this a weekly podcast, but uh, sometimes we miss a week. We'll miss next week, and we'll talk more about that later. Let me welcome once again our chapter president, Duncan Giles. Thanks, Larry. It's always good to be here with you. And it's a beautiful day here in central Indiana. And I, I, I heard an argument today listening to a podcast, another podcast while I was in a car, and and there were people uh, trying to make a distinction between the meteorological date for fall and the astronomical date for fall. I guess they're different. I guess the meteorological day for fall, actually, I think it's today, is it not? I'm not sure, but those are people that have way too much time on their hands. As far as I'm <laughs> what is it's, fall? In fact, somebody on a podcast said, I just know it's hot or cold. That's all I care about. So <laughs> there, there you go. It's, I, I think it's a little warm to be calling it fall, but you know, that's uh, just me. The, some one one person said, "Well, when college football starts, that's fall." I said, "Well, okay, that started in all earnestness last night." Although Notre Dame did play that game in Ireland, we don't always count that. But we're really glad to have you with us. Glad, uh, glad to have uh, Duncan with us. Uh, Duncan, we will not have a podcast next week. You and I do get busy sometimes, one or the other of us, or sometimes both. But we should be back if all goes well in a couple of weeks. So let's get to our issues of the day. The biggest issue that has come up in recent days, right before we record this on September 1st, is this uh, issue of the federal pay raise. The federal pay raise is always a matter of political posturing, and it's all part of this budget process, which, uh, to be quite honest, Duncan, has been dysfunctional really going back to the 1980s. You know, there was a, I remember talking to Lee Hamilton, a man who had been in Congress for many years and considered a, a leader there and a respected member by both parties. And he once told me, he said, we've lost regular order. Because regular order was House passes a budget, Senate passes a budget, you have a conference committee, work out the differences, you have a budget. That's almost never happened in the last 30, 40 years. So um, this all this pay raise issue is kind of mired in that. The budget process, to the extent it has happened in the Congress, has been silent on the pay raise issue for federal employees. That generally kicks it all back to the president. And President Biden has made uh, a very specific uh, uh, announcement about that. So I'm going to let you talk about what where this whole issue stands for the federal employee pay raise for 2024. Yeah, first off, to comment on your regular order, you know, if they did schoolhouse rock now, it would be really confusing on how a bill gets passed because nobody's really sure. Um, but yeah, the president, by law, has until the end of August to say what he wants, you know, through his what's called the pay agent, the federal pay agent, uh, what he wants the pay raise to be for the following year for federal employees. If he doesn't do that, there's an automatic formula that kicks in that would be much higher 
um, than what it would be proposed by a president of either party. So they always like to get this in. Um, both the House and the Senate have been silent on pay raises. The president earlier in the year had proposed a 5.2% raise, and he officially came out with that yesterday with a 4.7% raise across the board and a half a percent raise for locality pay, depending upon where you are in the United States. So overall, it's called a 5.2, but depending upon where you are in the country, what they view uh, as inflation, things of that nature, it could be a little bit more, could be a little bit less, depending upon your situation. Um, and at this point, everybody's going, okay, so it's going to be a 5.2% raise. No, 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 no. Let's not, let's not count any chickens before they're hatched. It still has to be uh, included in congressional bills. Now, if Congress is silent on it and remains silent, then yes, it would go to that 4.7 with a half percent locality pay. But it's very possible that, you know, the House or the Senate could include it a lesser figure or possibly a greater figure. We're fighting for a higher one, but I don't see that happening realistically. Um, you know, they could include a different figure and then it would have to go to that conference committee to be figured out. So we're hopeful the signs are pointing to that 4.7 with a half percent locality pay, but it's not guaranteed by any means yet. Yeah, I think I would describe this myself as as a as a positive step forward, but don't count on the money next year at this point, right? Exactly, exactly. So yeah, we're hopeful, but you just don't know what's going to be coming out of Congress. Um, you know, with the the budget deals that they're talking about or not talking about, uh, we'll have to wait and see how that all plays out. And, and all tied into this is this whole issue of government shutdown. I saw an interesting article yesterday, Duncan, that there are people in the House of Representatives who want to impeach President Biden, which I think is rather strange, but they want to do this. And apparently that's because a certain presidential candidate is pushing them to do it. Well, the interesting argument that's being, because as I understand, Speaker of the House, McCarthy, does not want a government shutdown. He knows this is bad news politically, but he's got these people who want to do it. So what he's doing now, I find this a very interesting political angle. He's telling uh, his caucus, okay, if you want to force a government shutdown, fine, but we cannot impeach the president and have a government shutdown at the same time. So that's his way of avoiding a government shutdown. Rather odd way of uh, thinking about it. it. It certainly is. But I mean, these are, as you and I both know, and we've discussed at length, both on this podcast and off of it, uh, extremely strange times uh, politically in the you know history of the United States, where compromise seems to be a dirty word if you agree with another political party on anything, the sky is blue. You're going to be ostracized and cast out. And, you know, we really need to come together, get these budgets done. But there are a certain number of a political party that are saying in the House of Representatives that we want a government shutdown, you know, that we are looking forward to one. And, you know, the whole purpose, you know, Congress's whole purpose was to pass bills to continue to fund the government. 
And this is, you know, the bedrock of what they're supposed to be doing. And yet they're saying, no, we don't want to do this, which just totally blows my mind. So you're going to have to have members of both parties to come together to pass something. And it's going to be tough to do that because it's just right now so baked in that you can't agree with members of the other party. And we're seeing the evidence of that now. So we'll keep an eye on it. And TEU is doing that at the national level. And we watch their updates here as well. A little bit tied into all this, uh, there are always think tanks and groups of people for, for instance, uh, when a political party is out of power, they always think of, okay, if we ever get back in power, what are we going to do? A group of Republican people are th- have been doing this and publishing this, the papers and making public statements about what they'll do when they get, uh, if they ever, when and if they ever get the White House again. One group uh, of the Republican Party out of power in the White House has issued a very specific set of proposals. And Duncan, the only thing, the only way I can describe it is it wants to gut the civil service. It wants to make federal employment pretty much at the will of whoever happens to be president, which means when there's a party change in the presidency or even a change in the presidency, all or most of federal workers would be fired and replaced with brand new people of the new party. You and I have talked about this. We ended that, what, over 100 years ago. The spoil system uh, was not working for the public, and that's why we have the civil service that we have. So uh, when you read this information, uh, your reaction? Um, It makes my head hurt a lot. It's just one of those things that, is just totally insane. It seems like they want to abdicate power of Congress and give it to uh, more power to whoever is sitting in the Oval Office, which is not what the Founding Fathers intended, but that's just me. You know, a great example of the spoil system in a more modern era is here in the state of Indiana. It used to be very much the spoil system for a lot of federal employees, particularly, I'm sure you'll remember, the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. Well, I've, when, told, I've told that story many times, Duncan. I won't tell it again here, but when I started yeah. driving, I had a real maze to go through. We had just gone through a change of party at the governor. And uh, so getting anything done to get your driver's license was really difficult to do, but I'll let you continue. Yeah, and that's and that's it exactly because, okay, you take out everybody from one pro- political party and put in the other. It doesn't matter which one is which. And this, this is the type of thing that they're looking to do with the federal government and, you know, employees, which is just insane because federal government employees, I'm sorry that, you know, they're, you know, you hear the deep state, the, you know, the dark state, whatever you want to call it, you know, they're, you know, federal employees are here to do the job that they've been hired to do for the American taxpayers. If you don't like the job that's being done, then you need Congress needs to change the laws because all these, you know, all these agencies, including the IRS, all we're doing is enforcing the laws that Congress passes. And if they're not happy with what we're enforcing, then you have to change the law. It isn't our fault the law was written that way. We didn't go to Congress and say, write the law this way. The Congress did this. We're simply enforcing it. 
So now you're wanting to say, okay, because you people are enforcing laws that have been written, we want to rip it up because we want to get people in there that won't enforce the laws that Congress writes. It just you know, it makes my head explode because it makes no common sense whatsoever. The other part of this whole discussion that always irks me, Duncan, is the fact that there's this conception outside of government that government employees, especially federal government employees, are never fired. Let me tell you something. I've been a manager. We've both been union officials. I think we can uh, extinguish that thought. People are fired all the time for poor performance, for ethical issues, for issues of conduct. So this idea that, that federal workers are never fired is just not true. Absolutely correct. Yeah, there is no such thing as tenure. If you're screwing up and doing something that's against, you know, federal law, ethics rules, things of that nature, can you be removed? Absolutely. And we've both seen it done. Some, you know, sometimes it's just that they're removed. Other times we feel it's not just, but it happens. So when people say, well, we need to have the ability to take care of it, there's a reason that the Civil Service Reform Act came into being that was, uh, you know, unofficial for decades. And then finally, uh, in the 70s, under President Carter, was officially done because you cannot, you cannot go back to the spoil system that Boss Tweed started back in the, in New York in the 1800s. You can't go back to that because it doesn't work, and it won't work for the American people. The They think that, that you know, they're not happy with something now. The service would go right down the tubes at every federal government agency. You would not have the institutional knowledge you need to get things done, and it's just a ridiculous suggestion but yet there are a lot of people that are buying into this, which is very scary. If you uh, read historians, and there's a lot of, there are a lot of books that have been written by historians, let's say, about Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln was fighting a civil war. Yet, while he was doing that, all the historians document all these people that came to see him. And what did they want? They wanted postmaster jobs for themselves or someone they know. So that, you know, would you want a president or his staff or her staff dealing with all these issues all the time? It just, it's just uh, a bad way to run a government. So, I mean, you and I have had both have had a lengthy experience in management in, in the private sector before we came to government. And uh, when we came to government, we, we'd heard these rumors. And when we got here, it's like, oh, this is not the way it works at all. So I think you and I have a perspective to, to tell people that that's not true. So I see, there's no good reason to change the civil service system. It's working as well as it can. People depend on this bureaucracy to get things done for them. If they want their tax refunds, if they want uh, returns processed, they're, they're dealing with the balance due. They want professional people dealing with them. So uh, that's my speech on it. Anything you want to add before we move on? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about do... You know, when somebody's being audited, well, I'm of this party or I'm of that party. Okay, well, then you get to skate because we're not going to harm our own. We're going to go after others. I mean, that's the type of thing you're opening it up for. Our federal workforce, is, is a bureaucracy large and sometimes unwieldy? It absolutely is. But that's any large organization. It doesn't matter whether it's public or private. 
but I will put the work up that federal employees do up against any organization out there, especially any government out there in the world for the professionalism and trying to get the job done right for the taxpayers that they serve. And for people to sit there and say, oh, no, they don't get fired enough. We need to put in others, things of that nature is simply just it, it's wrongheaded. Well, I uh, I must say that uh, well I could I could say a lot more, but I want I think we beat this one to that. Let's go on to the next issue. Mike Pence, of course, is former governor of Indiana, former vice president of the United States. We all know that after all that happened uh, with, with the election last last time for president, but uh, he is a presidential candidate now. He has come out with a plan saying we should, I, th- I think I'm saying this more or less correctly, that he wants to stop telework, or at least for the most part, stop telework entirely for the federal work face, or federal workforce. So with that in mind, Duncan, tell me why that's a bad idea. I, you know, this is one of those um I like to compare it to with these ideas that come out from certain politicians uh, and business owners, especially ones that run large businesses that want to see these people in the office. They want Pleasantville, the movie Pleasantville. They want things to go back as the way they used to be because in their mind, it was all pleasant. It was great. It was wonderful. Well, no, there were a lot of issues that were bad back then. And, you know, there are a lot of things that are wrong with trying to stop telework. Well, If people are teleworking, you know they're not actually doing their jobs. Okay, well, study after study will show you that they're actually as productive, if not more productive, on telework. Your absenteeism rate goes down. Your use of Federal Medical Leave Act, the FMLA, goes down. Um, You know, you're actually saving people money because they're not having to commute. They don't have to pay a lot of times as much child care. You know, there are a lot of advantages to telework. And the thing is, if people are screwing off on telework, which people do, there's a certain percentage, small, thankfully, in the IRS, that do that. There are ways to correct it. And I know management has done it with several and will continue to do that. If there's bad behavior, you do what you need to do to correct the behavior. But you don't use a shotgun when a laser approach will do. You know, I understand that especially in the Beltway in D.C., that they want to bring people back because the businesses are crying, because they're saying we're not getting, you know, we've got too much rentable space or, you know, we're a restaurant and we're dying because we don't have federal employees here, things of that nature. I get all that. I I understand. I empathize with it. But pulling people back from telework is not going to solve. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. And it's not going to solve the issues that they want to have solved. It's just not going to. So we need to continue to move forward. And ideas like that, it's like, okay, let's eliminate telework. And while we're at it, we should go back to the horse and buggy, too, because cars are just bad. I saw a joke on the Internet. I I sent it out on my Facebook, my personal Facebook uh, feed. And the sign says, um, sign at a coffee shop said, no Wi-Fi, imagine it's the 1970s. So the response to that was, fine, I'll pay 10 cents for my coffee and light up a cigarette. (laughs) 
be careful and that's what you, very apt. Be careful what you ask for. You, you might get it. Uh, yes, yeah. I mean it's it's just one of those things where, uh, yeah, telework telework does work if it's done correctly. People are given the equipment, the tools that they need to do the job, and they're told their consequences if they don't. That you know it does work, and folks who pander to these ideas that it doesn't are just grasping at old antiquated thoughts that aren't proven by data. Let's move on to something else, because uh, one thing you get as a member of NTEU, and I'm a retired member, you can be a member when you're retired, but uh, you go to the website, you sign up for the website, get on the website, there's a whole section of the NTEU.org website, which deals with discounts. All sorts of discounts are available and deals are available to people who are members of NTEU. There's one uh, particular company offering benefits that you wanted uh, to talk about. Yeah, there's a company out there called United Benefits. And, you know, this is one of the companies that's worked with NTU for a long time. They do a lot of presentations. They uh, Do they sell products? Absolutely they sell products. But it's products that are there to help federal employees, and you can choose to use them or not use them. Uh, sometime in the near future, we're going to have a member of United Benefits come on and talk about exactly what they do. But when you're talking about thinking about retirement planning, you're talking about, okay, how do I make sure my family is taken care of? Should I keep money in my thrift or should I move it elsewhere? You know, all these different factors that come in, you know, how should I retire? What's going to be the best way to do it? Uh, those types of things. Representatives from places like United Benefits specifically work with federal employees and in our cases, NTU members to help them. So it's something that, you know, there are a lot of benefits on that page that you mentioned, you know, whether it's, you know, benefits for Office Max, benefits for car rental discounts, things of that nature. It's all on there. But United Benefits, like I said, has a uh, wide offering that I think can help a lot of our members. And looking forward to having someone from there on the podcast talk about exactly what they can do to help federal employees and members particularly. Yeah, we do have, uh, how should I put it, special situations as federal employees that we need to plan for. Particularly if you're, I mean, I'm under the old civil service retirement plan, one of the last people hired under that. But FERS does bring some other planning and decision making that needs to be done. Our thrift savings plan is a little bit different than private sector plans. So it's very important to get specialized advice if you choose to do, excuse me, sorry, if you choose to do that, uh, we'll have someone on just to explain the off, the offers that they make to members of NTEU. It, it's up to you whether you want to avail yourself of it or not. But there are plenty of uh, uh, opportunities to save money and just get special deals by going to NTEU.org, and, and that United Benefit one is, is a special one. Doug, I want to ask you, you uh, were at the convention just a few weeks ago in Detroit, we have a NTS convention every two years. Every four years, national officers are elected by the uh, by the people who are delegates to the convention. They are elected in their local chapters. So we now have uh, Doreen Greenwald, who is our new national president, and Anand Muni, who is our new uh, executive vice president from the uh, uh, from Customs and Border uh, Protection. So it um, seems to me they're getting out to a good start. Uh, how do you see it? 
yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, Doreen had some big shoes to fill and Tony Reardon, who did an awesome job. And as those of us who knew Doreen and know Doreen very well, knew what she would do, she took off and hit the ground running and she's been doing a great job, you know, since, since she's been elected. Jumped in with both feet, moved forward, pressing for the federal employee issues, uh, whether it's with our staff to make sure that they understand what needs to be done or talking to the different agencies or, uh, or Congress. So she's doing, you know, as, as I knew she would, a great job. Anon jumped right into, you know, being, going from a chapter leader to jumping into leading the contingent for the term contract for CBP, Customs and Border Protection. And from everything that I'm hearing, he's doing a great job doing that. Very sharp guy. And I think they're both doing a great job in starting out. You know, it's tough to move up or, you know, move up in Doreen's case or totally accept a different challenge in Anand's case. But from everything that I've seen and heard and talked to them both, they're doing very, very well. And NTU members should be proud and happy that they're at the helm for us. Last item for this podcast, uh, one thing we want to remind people about. When uh, you change your address, you always tell your manager or go on the online system and change your address if you have a change of mailing address. What people need to keep in mind as an NTEU member, the management of IRS does not provide that information to NTEU. It's very important that you can do it right online if you want. Or you can have somebody in the chapter, wherever you may be watching or listening, do it for you. But please, when you change your address, don't just do that with the management of IRS. Do that with NTEU as well. Absolutely, yeah, because we don't get that information. So if you're not getting mailings from NTEU, uh, if you're not receiving things like your membership card or things of that nature, you know, take a look online. Make sure that your address is correct. Because all it would take is a little bit of zip code off, misspelling of a street, things of that nature. You know, we get bad addresses. We try and send it out to employees when we have these or find them. You know, I corrected one the other day that literally had no address. Had the employee's name, but no address whatsoever. So went in there and corrected it. So, you know, if you're not getting that information, please go on the website or contact your uh, chapter leadership or your steward so they can go in and take a look in the state of Indiana. Feel free to shoot me an email and I'll be happy to take a look to make sure that we've got the correct address for you. And Duncan, uh, your final comment for this podcast. Yeah, you know, we're coming up on a very important holiday to me, uh, Labor Day. And, you know, this is something that people just, okay, it's another, it's another day. You know, that's, that's the thing. It's like, there's a reason that you have a weekend. There's a reason you have a 40-hour work week. You know, it's because of people who have gone before who have pressed to make sure that you get these rights. And that's why I feel that celebrating Labor Day is very important. The work that we do uh, as NTU leaders, you know, for federal employees, I think is extremely important to be able to continue that type of tradition, to make sure that you do get these holidays, so you do get these rights. And I think that having a day to celebrate and remember those uh, who came before us who've gotten us this and to celebrate, you know, the, the work that we do, 
that everybody does together is just a great idea. You know, Duncan, I think that if you really want to celebrate Labor Day, I think one very important thing you could do is just look at the history of the labor movement in America. Many of the benefits that we take for granted today were hard-fought issues, uh, as particularly in the early part of the 20th century, uh, by uh, some very courageous people who put themselves in, in, in harm's way uh, to get benefits for people that we ha- that have them today. So uh, when you say, well, you know, uh, uh, what has the labor movement done for me? You need to do your history lesson. And if you do that, you'll find out that much of what you have today is due to those people who were there sometime early in the 20th century. And it's been a constant fight. It continues today. You've just heard Duncan Giles, our chapter president for NTEU Chapter 49. And this is the Chapter 49 podcast, normally weekly. Uh, We will not have a podcast next week just because Duncan and I are busy with other things sometimes. And uh, we will hopefully be back if all goes well in, in a couple of weeks. But I must say that Duncan and I, we love doing this only because you're there. And our National Union has recognized this podcast as one of the best uses of technology and communication. So we appreciate that, and we appreciate you. And if you know someone else that might enjoy listening or watching this podcast, let them know. And we'll be glad to uh, add them to the list of people who are watching and listening to the Chapter 49 podcast. It's a labor of love for the two of us. I'm a retiree and take time out each week to do this for most weeks. And Duncan takes time out of his busy day as a chapter president. So in the meantime, thanks for watching and listening. Be safe and be kind.